You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you'll want to listen on to hear what Australia's biggest property podcaster has to say about what you need to do if you're thinking of a sea change. But if you want a six-figure income, Capital City, you have to commute and do the two-hour thing that I was talking about before to get access to a Capital City income. That's the third wheel. You've got to, if, if, if everyone's getting a similar income, if I'm working in uh, hospitality and I'm on 80 grand, or if I'm working at, as in retail at Pacific Fair and I'm on 60 grand, like you can't, your borrowing capacity is rubbish. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of my other co-host, Bryce Holdaway. (laughs) (laughs) Bryce is probably now best known for co-hosting his own excellent podcast, The Property Couch. For any listeners who haven't yet discovered The Property Couch, it's the granddaddy of property podcasts in Australia. And they're nearly, what, 200 episodes? Nearly. Nearly. Mm. Or maybe by the time this goes to where you might be, you've cracked 200. But listeners, go right back to episode one because they step through the foundations for getting started in property investment. Bryce is a director of Empower Wealth. Do you want to give us a quick elevator pitch, Bryce? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a partner, not a director. But, uh, oh, sorry. It, we, we just got named the Property Investment Advisory of the Year, Veronica. Congratulations. So, all things property investment, yeah. Very They're good. They're not as good as good deeds, of course, in Sydney, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are very good. Uh, friendly rivalry here, friendly rivalry. Of course, Bryce and I originally met back in 2010 when we recorded our first series for Fox Tells the Lifestyle Channel, which was Relocation, Relocation Australia, to be followed the next year with three more of Location, Location, Location Australia, more syllables than any other show. But most recently, yeah, most recently he's been back in front of the cameras filming a new show about to hit our screens on the ABC, Escape from the City, correct? Correct. So today we want to explore the issues facing sea and tree changes. And my apologies to Chris before we get started, just in case we drive too far down memory lane, talking about (laughs) the city escapees that we met when we were filming a few years back. Thank you for coming in. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. That was a nice introduction. I didn't know what to expect today, Ronnie. (laughs) I'm going to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Bryce. Appreciate being here. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I feel like the third wheel already, but that's okay. (laughs) No, it's funny when uh, when Ronnie came on our podcast, she just gave Ben the big sort of shove saying, yeah. move, move over, buddy. So, this no. is my mate. I'm no back. one else's. I'm back. No, I reckon we should just turn this podcast into trading notes on what it's like to uh, work with Ronnie. What oh, do you reckon? no. Oh. All I do is bring my ex-husband and ex-partners in. <laughs> they, they can all swap no, notes I've too. met them. But uh, now one of the good things about working with Ronnie for the last, better part of the last five, six years is practically she is very, very smart, and you probably picked this up yourself. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like, she gets the big picture of macro. She, like, if I, I riff it with her own investment, she like she's all over it. But the tactics when you're on the on the ground, getting a deal done, 
you know, this sounds like a blatant plug, right? But I, I don't think I've seen better than mm -hmm. her. She, she's just got this little sixth sense that when it comes to the tactics for buying real estate. So I think she's in the right place doing the right thing, I've got to oh, say. Oh, well, thank you hey, so much, Bryce. Is the check in the mail for that? No, you didn't there even ask me for that. I didn't even ask. Thank you. It's not even meant to be about me. But just on that, just a very <laughs> – just today I had an interesting conversation with an agent and something came to me, which is something I learnt on the show, which was in Melbourne – they do this thing called boardroom auctions. Mm -hmm. So if you've got more than one buyer on a property, particularly around pre-auction offers and odd times, one thing you do not want to do, you don't want the agent to say sealed bids, especially when you know you've got a client with a really mm -hmm. good budget. Mm -hmm. I do not want that situation. And I've got that situation at the moment. So I, I pulled the rabbit out of the hat. I pulled out the boardroom auction. What mm. about a boardroom auction? What's that? Well, and so. I love a boardroom auction because uh -huh. it's for, for, for us <laughs> who perfect, actually, yeah. that, that's that's our stomping ground because mm. most people are shy and meek and intimate and they can hide behind a car or a tree or whatever. But in that mm. room, it is it is yeah, well and truly made for a professional buyer. Yes, much better than a sealed envelope bid. Yeah. So anyway, let's not talk about what we do, mm. but that was just a something I did learn on the show and something I had to ask Bryce what a boardroom auction was when I was presented with mm -hmm. one whilst filming one year. Now, you're back out there traversing the countryside and this whole idea of escape from the city. And and I know that we helped a lot of people when we were filming, you know, moving from Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or wherever they were moving from often to rural areas or, and we learn all about acreage, didn't we? And, uh, <laughs> yes. but, and coastal areas. And there are a lot of pitfalls for buyers doing this. So, you know, you're fresh now, you're doing it all over again. What do you think? What's been coming up? Look, I always um, relate it back to my own experience because I left Perth in 2002 and I moved to Brisbane for three months and then went to the Gold Coast. So I've actually, I've actually done, I've been in the shoes of what people who are going on the show have done because I went from Perth to Brisbane to the Gold Coast to London to Melbourne to Brisbane to Melbourne, which is where I live now. But so, you didn't mm -hmm. ever escape a city. Uh, well, I escaped from Perth. Uh, <laughs> Gold Coast. Is, does Perth count as, as, <laughs> as a city? But, um, yeah, I escaped from there to the Gold Coast. And I think what I can say from my own experience and observing other people, and I'm sure you feel this way when you we were doing it on the show, is that people often – probably don't think far enough down the track as to what that move looks like to their lifestyle because it's all postcard and holidays and mm. I want to escape from the city, which is great. But the problem with Australia is we're so urbanised on the coast or areas that if you think about escape from the city, it's a it's an adaptation of escape to the country uh, yeah. in the UK. They couldn't name it escape to the country in Australia because no one escapes to the country because <laughs> there's no jobs in the country uh, for people to do it en masse. But mm. even the word um, escape, it's quite a negative word, mm. isn't it? It's already bringing up negative emotions. I'm trying to escape the city. Yeah, what's wrong with the city? So you're already <laughs> going there to get away from something. So rather than... We're moving there for a positive reason. We're trying to move there because we hate where we are. Well, so, mm. so people, yes, and I think the people, they might have one thing that's driving them there. So I had a, you know, um, some clients uh, this year where they wanted to escape because their kids were on iPads. And I think we can, you know, for those with kids, I can relate to that because I live in Melbourne, mm. winter's rubbish, you know, and sometimes it's just easier to let them have a digital babysitter, right? Mm. But it eats me on. There's no internet on, in the country? 
Yeah, well, exactly. well, no, the thing is it feels out of place when you're in the country, right? So you mm. go to the Gold Coast or you go to the Central Coast or you go up to Port Douglas, the reefs there and, and a beautiful walks and you've got all the hinterland and it just feels so easy just to get out and go and do something yeah. else and, and they feel out of place whereas in urban Sydney or urban Melbourne or urban Adelaide or wherever you are, it just feels normal to get the iPad out. So I think people lock on to the fact that mm. it's got this really great – lifestyle change, which is true, but you've got to realise that you can get lonely really quickly, you can get homesick really quickly, you have to re-establish your network. And for me, when Andrew, my wife, and I moved for the second time, we said, if, if we're going to do this, we're going to make a conscious effort when we have to establish ourselves into another community, we're going to have to say yes when we're feeling no, or like we want to say no. Because in the first year, that's where you have to build the momentum. Mm-hmm. You have to build some relationships. You have to go out and hang out with people. You have to go and see if you've got anything in common with them because if you just sit at home, it's going to take you a long, long time to establish yourself and you'll get homesick really, really quickly. So There are I- some stats around that, aren't there? In certain areas I've read and heard variously around about 50% of people who make a sea change or a tree change actually within a year feel that they made a mistake. Do a U-turn and turn around. Mm. And the other the other challenge to uh, the pitfalls, Ronnie, and you you well and truly know this, is if I'm if I'm escaping from Melbourne or Sydney, let's just use those two, and I'm going to Byron Bay or I'm going to the Central Coast or I'm going to the Barossa Valley or yeah. I'm actually selling out of a very strong metropolis with depth and yeah. of indus- that's driving uh, property prices. I'm selling out of that mm. and going into quite often a weaker market. So if you haven't really thought through it and it's not driven by going home to family or you're a pioneer, my advice is to put a tenant in your house, go and be a tenant in someone else's house, try the lifestyle on for size and um, see if you're really 100% committed to it. Now, the challenge with that is you still leave one foot back where you are. It's kind of like you you haven't burnt the bridge and you're not all in, but it's, it, you know, the, the stats say that people do do a U-turn. Yeah, I mean, the government really want you to do that, right? Like we've got the, the six-year rule, which most people w- would be eligible for, which if you bought the property, you lived in it from day one, it was your home, you can always move out for up to six years and still have the asset growing tax-free. So in that scenario, you know, you keep your house in Melbourne growing tax-free mm-hmm. for a few more years, probably a good decision. You rent and if you if you don't, you know, you love it, you might even want to keep Melbourne until you're really sold because, you know, even in two years' time, things might not be what you thought. So Yeah, and it just means, you know, in and out, it's expensive to recycle as you move into different properties. And you might remember, it was we won't say the names, but there was a client of mine on location. They were based in Balmain around your oh, backyard. Oh, I remember them, yeah. And they mm. were moving to Byron Bay and they were having this tussle in their head the whole time because mm. – and that was before Sydney just did its unbelievable ride – so they would have just missed out on one of the best booms that they would have experienced in their property lifetime had they not done that. They held on to it for a while. They did that exact thing. They did. Yeah. Um, they actually sold that property and funnily enough, I had a client that wanted to go for it mm-hmm. and it wasn't a great property that they had in Balmain. It, it had some issues in that it was. It was a C, C Street, wasn't it? I won't tell you the street. No, yeah. C grade street. <laughs> no, no, it was probably B grade, B grade street. The house itself, it was a pretty house, like it was a weatherboard cottage, which is really pretty in Balmain. And this is an important thing because, but it was very much a B grade house, B grade mm-hmm. house in B grade street in, yep. in an A grade suburb. Yep. And the issue with the house is that it was too big internally for the outdoor space. So somebody at some point in its history, yeah, had gone and made it, I think it was a four-bedroom house from memory, Mm. and it was too big. So Mm. a family living in there, 
is not going to be satisfied with a tiny little bit of outdoor space that had been left. Mm. So it was a disproportionate house. But not only that, whoever had renovated it, it was not like family friendly in terms of little kids at all. There mm. were holes everywhere, open tread staircases and louver windows yeah. for kids to climb through and a whole bunch of stuff. And the people that actually bought it, they were not a client of mine. And this is, look, this is an elephant in the room story, okay? So I saw these guys bid at a house across the road the week before this one went to auction and I saw them bid. I was just there as a spectator at a pure interest. I watched them bid and I watched them lose the property they should have got because of the way in which they were bidding. And I was so frustrated because I almost wanted to step in and go, look, just can we hold this for a minute? Just <laughs> sign me up and I'll just help you. But I didn't, obviously. I never ambulance chase after auctions, but in this case, I couldn't help myself. I went up to them. I said, look, I'm so sorry to say this, but you had that in the bag and you lost it mm. and I could have helped you mm. and really I encourage you to come and talk to me and then I can help you next time. Well, they, they did call me and they said, oh, we want to go for the house across the street now. And I'm like, oh, I know that house. Okay. And they had a baby in a pram. And I said, oh, look, have you, have you really thought this through? Because when you compare the two houses, the one you just missed out on was perfect for your stage of life where you're moving for the next at least five, six, seven years. That one, however, you know, it's got some issues. Go and have another look at it before you even engage us to help you with it. So they did. Anyway, in the end, there was a lot of toing and froing. And then finally, the day before the auction, she rings me and says, oh, we've decided not to go for it. And even if we do, she says, and even if we do, we won't pay more than X, right? And I said, well, the fact you said even if we do means you be there. And I know that agent. She Mm. will nail your feet to the floor. You'll be buying that property. And I said, what are you doing this afternoon? Are you sure you don't want, you know, my help? Yeah. Oh, we're at a wedding. I said, well, you better not drink. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, they go to the auction. They buy it. They paid only $15,000 less than the, the one across one. the road went Uh-oh. for. It was worth a lot less than yeah, that. Yeah. Just a terrible story. But anyway, that was that house. So they got good money for it in the end, even yeah. though it was a B-grade house and a B-grade street. Yeah. But you're interesting, the two points there you said around, uh, well, I mean, they just kept building, right? They kept going bigger and bigger in the house, completely As destroying. As previous owners had, actually. These guys didn't stuff the house up, but, you know. Right. <laughs> but maybe didn't need that fifth bedroom yeah. or the, the extra wide hallways or whatever it was. And the second point you said there around the kids. You know, because even if you haven't got kids, you should be thinking when you're designing, would young kids be suitable here when they get older? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't think like that. So that's the the two kind of big takeaways. And that's something that you need to think about with the sea change as well because I reckon I got around the wrong way. So I did the sea change uh, without kids and now I live in the big um, (laughs) bustling city with kids and so we still kind of have that small yearn to still have the kids in nippers at the at a beach location in Queensland. So uh, having that sort of medium-term thought about what your lifestyle is going to look like, because mm. I, I did that very thing. There was We, we did a, a story in Orange and the couple were just, as you probably see a lot here in Sydney, there's just people that are so on the edge of affordability, right? So if they've only been buying in the last 10 years, they've got big mortgages. And so they decided that they didn't want their kids to have a little pokey backyard chasing the hustle and bustle of of a Sydney lifestyle. So they've gone to Orange and they bought so much more for their money and they thought the the next step of their life uh, in advance. Yep. The fact that that's what they want for their kids. He grew up in the country in uh, Scotland, I think it was. So she was a country girl. So that was a, an example of how they'd done it in the positive, but a lot of people are doing it in the negative. And are they mainly locking in work 
before because that's the biggest fear, right? We go there, mm. we can't get work, we're not going to be satisfied, our purpose isn't, you know, we can get better work in the city, there's lots of progression, but we move there, that's it, we've kind of killed our career. A lot of people locking that stuff in before Yeah, so they, she was a teacher right? and he had some um, uh, some audio-visual work that he could do which was um, sort of remote-based. Yeah. But I guess that's another pitfall for people to think about because the question that I've been asking people all year is what makes you different to the hundreds and hundreds of people across this country who watch people like you do what you've done and they say, one day I'm going to do that, but they never do. What's what's different about you? What made you take that step? And um, they kind of, it's kind of a variation of had enough, right? But so, <laughs> but there's just some people who will, who will take that next step and some that won't. Mm. But the one I worked with recently, they're moving to the Central Coast and they're going to commute from the Central Coast, so from Woi Woi down to Sydney, and I've never done that commute, but it's, you know, it's somewhere it's between an hour long. and 10 and an hour and, <laughs> hour and 30, depending on where you've got to be. Mm. But I have done the commute when I lived on the Gold Coast uh, into Brisbane, mm. and it was two hours door to door. Mm, wow. Because I was in the north side of Brisbane, so in a, in a suburb called Milton. So I had, to get off, I had to get off the train in Central. I had to get onto another track and then I had to go out to Milton, which was only, I think it's only two stops out from the city. So, but that changeover added another 20 minutes of mm. time if I just missed it. So two hours door to door, I did it for seven months and it felt like it aged me five yep. years, right? Yeah. And there wasn't a lot right, of podcasts around back that. then. Hey, Botox will fix that. Yeah, that, well, i got a baby face, so I've got nothing to worry about. But I just, in terms of um, just energy and spirit yeah. and, yeah. you know, I'd come home on the weekend and Andrea was there and she'd go, right, let's go to Byron Bay for lunch. I'm like, that's 45 minutes away in the car. There's no way I'm, I, I just, I, I don't want to go anywhere in a car. I just want to, on the weekend, just kick back and chill and, and try and recharge. So, But Central the, Coast, that's hardly escaping the city, is it? I mean, it's it's kind of the same distance from Sydney to Penrith. Like, yeah. like geographically, even the north of Wollongong, it's kind of, Part of Sydney now, it's kind of like all becoming one. If you take away the national park and the the kind of the water and the well, in the stats, you know, Central Coast is included in Sydney. Well, yeah. Mm. Well, so you must the, have been running out of guests. Well, you got a little insight into the way that uh, television producers work, mate. They, <laughs> yeah. just, they, they just. But I, I mean, this year I did Port Douglas. I'm going to the Gippsland. I'm uh, doing a, yep. a place um, called Robertson, which I'd never heard of before. Oh, it's got a big potato. Yeah, yeah. 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 Someone else said that to me. I don't know. I'm about to find that out. And the thing with this show is I get to do an awesome little puff piece, Ronnie, that we never used to do in the Aww. location days. So I just I just duck off from the uh, the search and go, like last week I was milking snakes. I've done a little swim on the Great Barrier Reef and, you know, the, the things that we would have appreciated like in the get, day, Ronnie. Get away, so, um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly, a little getaway piece. So. Wow. No, no, I tried to do a surf once. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I d- I d- you actually did well. <laughs> I did not. I couldn't even stand I up. I remember. I totally oh, they, backed they, myself to get up on that board. Yeah, I've never the, stood up on a surfboard in my life. That was at the end of the episode. That, that show rated really well because of that. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knew that you were in your bikini at the end. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, watch it, guys. Look for Farmer Dave, the Farmer Dave episode. But what sort of buyers, clients, contributors, as we used to call them in the show, what do they give away when you think, uh-uh, this is not going to work? In in what way? Well, you know, there's always those ones you think, okay, you got it, you got it nailed. You guys are really, really going to make this thing work and you've got yeah. the other people that come along and think, you guys are dreaming, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is for people that haven't, oh, I think they haven't fully thought through what yeah. the escape uh, really looks like, and but a couple of things that um, I think that uh, it'd be good for for your listeners is if they if they are going to make, and I, I'm certainly positive for people that want to do it right. I think yeah, if you too. if you've if you've got access to a job, 
I reckon you've got it made, you know, because yeah. that's the reason like a lot of people can't do it. But the, the biggest one is when you have someone I've – I've had a couple of firsties that have wanted to escape from the city for affordability reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then they do that classic, well, I've got 800 to spend and then we find them something and we go 750 and they go, good, because I've got 50000 left over for renovations. It's like you actually don't have $50,000 no. left over for renovations. You know, the bank's going to give you a percentage of the purchase price as security and that's and they've said you can go up to eight hundred, but if you drop it at seven fifty, there's not there's not a magical pot no. of money left no. over at fifty grand, and they're really surprised. They go, oh, really? That's really the bank yeah. said I could do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just literally a client bought yesterday the exact same thing because we got them pre-approved yeah. at one point five, and they found a beautiful buy. It's actually a really perfect asset for them, but their parents are going to move in with them long term, and I uh, need to build a granny flat. And they're like, well, we've got 150 left over. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> got to be a construction loan. Yeah, it was, a, it was a whole coaching process through how it would work and it's a common mistake. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why houses that are renovated, if it's renovated well, should get you a bit of profit because people can't afford to do those renovations themselves. So they can borrow the money from the bank, 90% or 80% of it, but they couldn't actually then fund the renovation themselves. So, If you understand that, I think that's the key to helping you make that process smooth so you're not so disappointed. But it's interesting you say that about the margins with renovations because, you know, when you're in the bigger cities, it's not as if um, – I always think it's a bit of a mindset thing. If you go to a place where people aren't prepared to do that or it is a bit difficult, there's there's a better opportunity than when you're in the in the cities because it's not as if not as if you go and buy a two-bedroom house in Balmain and, and – it's probably not the best example, but maybe a two-bedroom flat or whatever, and and you happen to renovate the kitchen and the bathroom and your paint looks nice. It's not as if you're the pioneer in in no. Sydney who's <laughs> pre- mm. like there's hundreds of people who'd mm. be prepared to do that, or if they can't find the one they want, they'd be prepared to buy it and do it themselves. So there needs to be an opportunity that exists, as you know, where there's an opportunity where it's either a combination of that they can't do it or there's a big propensity of people that that wouldn't be prepared to do it, and if you're prepared to do it, they'll pay you a premium for actually doing that. Yeah. Because in the booming market, let's face it, the unrenovated properties sell for a disproportionately high price compared to renovated in Sydney. Anyway, probably in Melbourne, I would think it's the same because everyone thinks unrenovated is my way to get into the market. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Supply demand. Yeah, <laughs> fighting with everyone else. And meantime, the house prices may be falling, and then you got renovation or build costs going up, mm. and it's supplies, yeah. materials. It's not even the labour. It's uh, expensive business renovating. It is. And so all these people escaping the city, I think it's, I mean, you, you mentioned there about there's uh, sometimes I haven't thought it through, but I guess in life there's kind of two ways to attack it. One, you could sit there for years, think it through, map it all out, have your spreadsheets, and then finally push the button. But three years later, by then, you know, you potentially missed three years. Or the other attitude is just kind of making it work and going for it. Was anyone doing that as well? Just like literally... Three months ago, we just lost our job and now we're just going. <laughs> yeah. And so, but it's it's like the people who do that are largely circumstantial, right? Mm, so yeah. if someone's in Sydney and they don't have parents nearby, it's really easy for them to make the move. So yeah. it's almost like you need to do this audit, right? How, yeah, yeah. how secure do you feel at the thought of throwing caution to the wind with your career? Mm. Oh, if you're a big risk taker, tick, right? Yeah. I need to know what I'm doing, where I'm doing. Well, that's a cross, right? Or I've got a big family with a big extended family. I love being around my cousins and I love my kids growing up with their other cousins. Well, there's another cross versus <laughs> all my family are in Adelaide and yep. my, I've got a sister in America and I've got one in uh, the UK and mum and dad sometimes come. That's a tick, right? So it's kind of this audit where you yep. go because it's more than just moving, buying a new house and settling. It's uh, 
like my my eldest, right? He he, Jack. He would um he would really struggle with a um a m- escape from the city because he likes his mates. You. He's locked in. Yeah. Whereas my mm. youngest Sam, he as long as mum and dad are there, and as long as someone's going to kick a footy with him, he wouldn't give a rip. He would make a friend in five seconds. So it's 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 kind of doing these audit processes just to because there's no one size fits all. I'm I'm a risk taker. I've moved from Perth. I would move. Andrew and I would just pack up and have a go. Versus someone like my sister. She is from Perth. We came from the same parents. We had the same yeah. upbringing. She has lived in the same spot for <laughs> the last 40 years. You know what I mean? So, But even for, for risk takers, there's ways to mitigate the risks, aren't there? And just on that too, the, the tick boxes, one thing that somebody said to you once about moving to a country town is that you've got to be okay with other people knowing your business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the city you can be quite anonymous. Yeah. You know, and there's all these subtleties mm. that – actually living in a different place bring into your life and it's like, oh, I would never have known that. And I mm. guess that's you don't know what you don't know, but there are financial ramifications too and I think this, this is a bit about mitigating your losses. If you're going to do it, if you're going to throw caution to the wind and go somewhere else, do the old sea change or tree change, what would you put in place to mitigate those risks? Well, I, what I said before, I'd first of all, I'd, I'd want to try before I buy. I want to make sure that mm. I get that in place. I'd want to do that personal order. But I'd want to make sure that I understood the nuances of where I'm going. So, uh, for example, in Brisbane, you know, you need to make sure you're outdoors living. It's all outdoors living. But in summer, it is ridiculously hot. (laughs) It is just uncomfortably hot the higher you go. So if you don't like being in humidity, well, go and try that out for a bit. Go and make sure you've... You've mm. absolutely tested those things out. So for me, I don't know if there's any rules of thumb other than to just work out who you are, work out the people that you love, work out what makes you tick. I always think it usually comes down to economic activity, human interest, human behaviour. I always, always use – someone says, what, what, if, if you're looking for the next hot spot, well, how do you work out what the next hot spot is? I said, well, those three things, economic activity, human interest, human behaviour, because basically economic activity is where am I going to earn an income, right? So – because if I can't earn an income, I can't afford to pay the mortgage. Human interest, what do I like to do when I'm not working and is it available where I'm going? And then human behaviour is the you know the status test. What do people think of me if I live in Balmain? Mm. What do people think of me <laughs> if I live in the Shire? What do people think mm. of me if I live in Brighton? Or what do people think if I live in Footscray, right? Well, it's the people like us, isn't it? PLUs. PLUs. Haven't you heard of that one? Oh, I can't believe I've given you one of these things. So I always say to our clients, if you're looking at a new area, <laughs> go and check out for PLUs, people like us, you know, uh, and if you yeah. think you yes, can see yourself yeah. fitting in there and being mm. in that community and they're like me, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were uh, down at Threadbow just three weeks ago and we're in this kind of cool brewery thing after skiing. The PLUs were there? Yes. And we're, there, <laughs> we're chatting away. So this guy's standing next to me. How you doing, mate? Yep, chatting away. He goes, oh, he was quite chatty and he's like, oh, yeah, so what's your story? You know, have you... How long have you been living here for? He goes, oh, we just moved down here. Yeah. Packed it in in Sydney. And um, I was like, moved oh, Alex. Yeah, well, basically moved to Jindabyne. Mm. And I was like, was that because you're mad skiers? He's like, yeah, of course, sort of thing. I said, well, how, how are you making it work? And, you know, and he goes, well, um, we sold our two-bedroom flat in near Manly. I think it was like Fairlight or Queenscliff or mm. somewhere. I just, mm. And then what he said, well, what we've got the same amount of money there. We're overlooking the lake on this kind of big house. So I was like, okay, well, that's pretty impressive. And how are you doing for jobs? And he goes, well, my wife's in education, like in uh, the government. And uh, so she's still earning a Sydney salary. And he's like, uh-huh. and I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm not working. Yeah. Because I've got a smaller mortgage and wife's got the uh, salary, so I don't have yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> and it was interesting. And he said, well, now I'm just helping like startups. I'm kind of just doing little consulting. And that's where it's really working, right? They're going from a, you know, a flat where kind of probably just keeping the bills paying, you know, keeping the, the rat race going, but then being able to keep the salary work 
you know, online. Well, that's uh, uh, one of the clients was the same thing, right? So, but down in the Shire, they've got a house, and they uh, it's it's worth a fair bit. They've ridden a very very nice ride in Sydney. They can sublet it short term and provide them with a significant cash flow that allows them to go to the Gold Coast, buy a house worth over a million bucks with an amazing lifestyle, which is just wonderful because then I don't care what sort of work I do because I can just go and do something that keeps my mind ticking over because I'm not I'm not concerned about <laughs> how much money. And he's the sort of guy that would mm. like, life is real, real simple, doesn't overcomplicate it, and that would work beautifully for him. So They traded Sydney's Gold Coast <laughs> for the real Gold Coast. Yeah. Is that what the Shire is, Sydney's Gold yeah, Coast? Yeah, a bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just a little bit. Only bits of it. Yeah. I can say that because I'm yeah, from you're the Shire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Originally. Yeah. Haven't been there a long time. On that, I remember doing a few episodes of the show up at the Gold Coast and there was ridiculous deals. I mean, you picked up one. It was a canal front for under a million dollars, wasn't it? It was yeah. ridiculously mm. cheap. These were all selling a lot less than they had previously sold for. So there was some significant, and, and we're talking double-digit percentages, you know, in some cases, yeah, so 30, dropped, 40% that was, that was down. Yeah, they dropped. was well and truly on the bottom. And yeah, they just yeah. Up, 2012-ish? Uh, yeah, 2012. 13, 14, yeah. Th- yeah maybe yeah, 13, yeah. 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 But, but that was an interesting episode because it, this is a little insight into the world of television because we used to get a, an episode done. Veronica and I used to be away for 13 weeks intensively with two weeks off in the middle. But the show, the premises, you've got to get the deal done on the show, right? So, <laughs> which adds just another unbelievable layer of complexity. So I remember that one in um, Palm Beach yeah. on the Gold Coast. I'm I'm really embarrassed about this story and I and I hate hate it, but I actually induced my second son so that I could fit in with our filming <laughs> schedule. Right? I had, I, had, I had producers sort of saying, "When's he born? When's he?" And I said, "He's due." And then in the end, I said to I Sorry, said, "Never listen to this." Oh, yeah. Well, I said to my my wife, I said, "Here's the deal: Do we want this to be uh, in our terms, or do we want me just be frantically getting to an airport and?" Panicking. <laughs> it must have been relocation. Which we, we, <laughs> which we did in one case where we thought that, anyway. So um, so my youngest son uh, had just been born. I didn't even get to bring Sam home from the hospital. Mother-in-law had to, so, you know, the world of what we're doing, right? Mm. So What you give up for fame. Well, this is why I'm embarrassed about it because now I've done a whole heap of work on my on my own psychology and things that make me tick and I'm just embarrassed about that story, right? But <laughs> I did it. I made a choice at the time. So... That one in particular, I remember looking at the couple. We were sitting on the uh, the, the burly heads there looking down at the uh, the postcard view of the skyline and they said, we don't want to buy that one. And I've just looked at them, my eyes have lit up because I thought, if they don't want it because the auction's tonight, that means I can get on the plane, I can go home, I can see my newborn son, right? <laughs> so they've gone, no, I can't do it. I go, oh, no problem, no problem. So what happens is this big frantic panic for me to try and get on a plane. So instead of going from the Gold Coast to Melbourne, I went Gold Coast, Sydney, Melbourne, just to get home. I got home at midnight. And I remember talking to the agent said, no, they don't want to. Sure, sure, sure. So I get off at Sydney at about 9.30 and all of a sudden my text message starts going berserk. So I quickly ring they go, Bryce, the, the, the property passed in. That's the agent. And then the, neck, the client goes, Bryce, the property passed in. And guess what? It was the best property on the Gold Coast. You showed me you were right. And I said, hello. And they go, we actually want it. Long story short, I'm in from that. So I still got home at midnight. I'm walking up to have breakfast with my wife in the morning. I'm on the phone, working the phone, getting the deal done. And then as you know, with our producer at the time, Ronnie, she's like, because what we used to do in that scenario is if the deal got done, we'd go, great, no worries. We'd have the agent on side and we'd say, can you just keep it hush-hush for as long as you can? We're about to send a camera to our client. The camera's coming to me and we'd match it up. Oh, and, yeah. and, and the producer yeah. the producer goes, Bryce, you know this one isn't going to look as good unless you're on the Gold Coast. And I said, well, but anyway, <laughs> long story so short. So you put your bathers on and went, oh, in, went, out, and went outside. Well, the thing is I've looked at my wife and I, and she's just gone, you've got to go, don't you? And I've gone, yes. And she and I've gone, how do you feel about that? And she's, she just said, 
do what you've got to do. Now, I've got to tell oh. you. She's pretty oh, good. She's pretty good at it. No, I wish she had a teed off. I, uh-huh. It would have made me feel better because it was uh-huh. the look. You know the look. Uh-huh. I got the look. She's do what you got to do, right? So I run home. Got the, I'm pushing the pram. I've got the and I've getting the taxi driver. And I said I've got to get on this plane uh, at one o'clock. And he looked at the clock and he goes, "That's not possible." I said, "I know." So if you can get me on that plane, I'll double your fare, right? So it's like Mario Kart up and down the freeway. <laughs> we'll get mushrooms all the way through the tunnels and all this. <laughs> pulls up at the front. I run out. I get up to the thing and the and the production crew says, "We cannot book your ticket because it's under a certain time. You need to put it on your own credit card." So I've run up to the desk. It's about three minutes until checkout time. I put it over. They go to process it. My credit card declined. I'm going, "Oh no!" <laughs> so I'm quickly on my phone. I'm quickly transferring money. I'm putting it into that credit card. Bang, oh. got it done. I told the woman and she just felt sorry for me. I've told her the whole story and she's going right on. So then I walked down. It was the Jetstar. It wasn't the new T4 airport. It was the old one. We had to go right down the bottom. um, (laughs) He tells a good story, doesn't he? (laughs) So then I I get down to the bottom and then um, uh, they go, right, your one o'clock flight is due to depart at 1.45. And I'm like, get on the plane. Then all of a sudden I'm sitting on the plane 30 minutes. All the crew is in um, in the Gold Coast waiting for me to get there. My battery's going flat and I'm trying to keep the agent from telling the client that we've got the, the deal done the as they're supposed poor to do. The couple got no idea. So, they're getting dragged so this along. story goes on and on. Right? I had to change planes. I had to get at the airport. <laughs> I had to ring the producer. You remember the old days of the iPhone? Is oh. when it ran out, it had that little um, lightning bolt of death. So yes. had, I'm sitting by the exit, plugging my phone in, trying to get it. It takes five minutes to charge. Anyway, I get there. All of a sudden, I tell oh, the God. clients, you got it. We got it all sorted out. And they just. And then I just walked out from there just going, I just cannot believe. I can't remember that episode. I'll have to watch it again to see the reveal. Was it worth it? It was worth it. But what you'll see (laughs) is I told the agent, I said, can you ring me? She goes, oh, I've rang at 5.20 like you told me to. And I'm like, I'm quickly, you can see it in the edit that I'm trying to turn the volume down. And I said, oh, you've got it. And she's delighted. She, oh, I'm so excited. Then I walk out and I thought only Veronica would understand (laughs) that I am just spent just Keeping that together. That's ridiculous. And then if you don't get a deal done on the show, it's, oh, I didn't get the deal done. I know. takes to keep it together. enormous pressure. But, I mean, that time in Gold Coast, not many investors really kind of knew that the Gold Coast kind of crashed. You know, a lot of people don't, as investors, we don't really keep track of what's happening all around Australia in different markets, and we've got such a short-term bias. And not just the Gold Coast, but the Noosa. Like, you're talking places up there halved. Mm. People have kind of forgotten about it, right? Because, you know, everyone was like, oh, Australia kind of got through the GFC. Property prices didn't crash. But in that time, you know, during the cycle, like, there were some places that got really hit. Yeah, and so if we go back to my three pillars of economic activity, human interest, human behaviour, the human interest and human behaviour are in spades. You can go for a surf, mm. you've got lifestyle, and like get out in the balcony and have barbecues and you've got canals. And So human interest is no problem on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Human behaviour, well, if you tell everyone to live on the Gold Coast, oh, how lucky are you? It must be great lifestyle, you must wake up the sun and everything. So knock those two on the head. <laughs> but the third one is what drives the Gold Coast is tourism and retail. And there's a bit of a, a hub now over in Rabina around um, IT. But if you want a six-figure income, capital city, you have to commute and do the two-hour thing that I was talking about before to get access mm. to a capital city income, that's the third wheel. You've got to, if, if, if everyone's getting a similar income, if I'm working in uh, hospitality and I'm on 80 grand, or if I'm working at, as in retail at Pacific Fair and I'm on 60 grand, like you can't, your borrowing capacity is rubbish, you yeah. know? Yeah. There's I mean, rough- that's, income growth is a huge thing that a lot of investors just don't even think about, right? They just go and buy a property. Because everyone they, else is buying a property. Yeah. And then they just buy it wherever it is. And then they just think, well, Property always goes up, but then they don't actually put the second level. Why is it going up? And the reason it's going up is because people who are moving into that area are on higher incomes over time. And then they've, as you know, as couples, and then they're basically getting bigger loans 
and they're competing the price up. Like so, generally speaking, what's driving the price up significantly more than just inflation is actually higher income families moving into the area. And well, so that's, you, that's you, a huge thing. It absolutely is a huge And you think about that the rising tide has lifted all ships across this country pretty much. I don't think that's going to happen again because if you think about in the 70s, um, I'm a 70s child, typically what happened back then is dad went out and mum stayed home. My mum went back to work um, yep. when I went to first year uh, grade one, but that was pretty rare still when she did that. So you usually had one income. So the 70s was one income. Then, then, then what you have is the people who went to school in the 80s now, if you fast forward to 2018, you've got potential for households to have two incomes, two cool. professional incomes. So organic cash flow has increased. And at the same time, we've had the recession we had to have in the 90s where interest rates were at 70%. We're now at historical lows. So you've had this perfect storm of organic cash flow in the household growing and organic expenses dropping for those two things. Whereas now moving forward, for you to be able to buy a house that's going to grow in value, so if you're buying your home, you need to think of it as a nest egg, you need to be buying in a suburb where the people that are living there are the plus, people like us, people like me, are in control of their income. So if I'm in the mortgage belt where people aren't in control of their income and they're waiting for CPI increases, even if they have the desire to spend more on um, houses, they can't because they they go to the bank. Because a rough rule of thumb is for every, and it's rough rule of thumb, for every 20 grand of income gives you $100,000 worth of borrowing capacity. If I'm in sales and I have a good year and my income goes up 20 grand, that that essentially means if I can do that over a period of two two years and demonstrate to the bank that that's not just a one-off fluke, they will give me an extra $100,000 borrowing capacity, which means I can pay more. And the guy who's in small business, his profits are going up, he can pay more. And the lady that's in professional sales and her income, all of a sudden I'm in a group of people that are in control of their income and they can bid the prices up versus being just out in typical suburban Australia where, you know, we've got the nuclear family with the same amount of dogs and they've got the same credit card debt and they've got the same income. They are going to struggle going forward to have that ongoing growth quite literally because they just won't have the borrowing capacity to match their desire to pay more. And the borrowing capacity Mm -hmm. is actually reduced. So, you know, before it was probably... Oh, because of the, the restrictions that have well, been yeah, introduced now, yeah. So, like, if you go back two years ago, that same family could have borrowed maybe six, six and a half times mm. their salary. Now it's like five, five and a half times, depending on their current situation and their living, could be four and a half times. So new buyers can't even borrow what the current buyers yeah. have actually got. Well, so you, you can't buy, so, you wouldn't be able to borrow enough to buy your own house. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> so the, the same couple, yeah, wouldn't, mm. if they were in the same position, wouldn't be able to borrow that. So not only are you not going to see borrowing capacities increase or prices increase, but you actually see, well, there's no one new buying. Correct. Well, you actually said something interesting too about two of the contributors for this show that they, they're teachers. Or actually, no, Chris, you were talking about something. Well, right? one of the, one, about the, yeah, the, yeah, you are talking about going to Orange as a teacher yeah. and Chris, you are talking about in Jindabyne, yeah. a teacher. That's a good example of somebody who's not really in control of their income, right, that there are set standards for what teachers get paid, same with police, I would imagine, and, and a lot of those types of roles where typically people can get employment in regional areas. Mm. So I guess that's that brings that into that, that uh, equation in terms of the – sustainability or the growth drivers in those areas aren't as strong. Yeah, and it, just, it kind of just makes sense that the city becomes the epicenter because of that income. Mm. So mm. yeah, yeah. Um, we, we always, um, when we're researching a suburb, because we get dropped in suburbs all the time, mm. Ronnie, um, when we're doing what we're doing. So I've got I've got a little algorithm we've built where I, I pull all the data from um, the ATO and I drop it in a suburb and what it does is it shows me where the higher income earners are actually living and by default, I know they're the better streets, not yeah. 100% of the time, but 90% of the time. And then you drop the overlay off and you can see, oh, there's a park there or yeah. there's a river, you know, a water mm. view there or it's close. It, it, it just 
makes common sense. But the thing is, if I have more income, I'm likely to, as part of the status test, I want to buy the best property that I can because human nature, we want to show off a little bit. So it's, you know, there's some, there's some core drivers around property performance and income and the better insights that you can get around what others are earning helps you be able to know which area to go and a better understanding of what opportunities exist for you help you understand whether a sea change or a tree change is actually possible for you. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when we, you know, investing, you're always trying to get in this kind of inner ring. Um, and as the population rises, you know, generally speaking, when you are living in outer suburbs, if you do start doing quite well with work and you start earning a bigger salary, generally you have to trade off time for that. And so you're starting to work longer hours. And so then, you know, you've got bigger borrowing capacity. And so end up happening is those jobs or those, those incomes get sucked out. Mm. So even the people who are living kind of in those suburbs, generally speaking, you know, the pressures of family and commute mean that they want to upgrade and get closer to the city. Mm. So it's kind of always sucking kind of higher income people into the city and then they're kind of competing. Um, and so it's a bit of a self-perpetuating kind of cycle. Agreed. So I, I think that the sea change thing is always going to be um, – I was reading the other day that uh, uh, the attention span you know, say of, of us – think about when you were growing up as a kid um, was – I might misquote this slightly, but the general gist is right – that our attention span was about 20 minutes. You know, When we wanted to make a phone call, we had to get out of our chair, we had to walk over, we had to dial a little thing that was attached to the wall, and it would come back, <laughs> make a phone call. We might get distracted by a television ad, but if we want to change the channel, we had to stand up – and change. So our attention span was about 20 minutes, right? Whereas now our attention span is nine seconds, <gasps> right? Oh, it's scary. So, so you can imagine we're flipping from Instagram to Facebook to our emails to changing the channels to watching YouTube, keeping half an eye. And so you, you could see that the, the whole sea change thing is going to just art of, no, um, naturally help us go back to what mm. um, uh, grounds us, which is getting outside, enjoying some of the sunshine, getting some of the basics of life. Because if you stay within the confines of the city. Uh, you're going to see everyone's doing that. Um, you know, uh, I, I, uh, Ben showed me a photo uh, partying in the 80s. Everyone was on the dance floor um, sort of just oh, yeah. boogieing around. Uh, in 2018, everyone's just doing selfies. Like the whole crowd is full of everyone just doing selfies. No one's mm. actually engaging. So if you're a part of the city, you're going to think that that's normal and all of a sudden you're going to think, what's wrong with me? It's when you go out from the city and you go to these um, these other locations where you take a deep breath, you put stand between your toes, you actually get to look at the stars and, and see all these things that we've just forgotten about. Um, so I think it, I think, I think it's a great thing for people to consider, but in Australia, they just need to be very mindful of the things we talked about before. Make sure that when you get there, you want to stay there and make sure that the, the, the opportunity to earn your income isn't going to aid you. Um, if there's a big train commute or whatever it takes to get in between. Right. I am a little bit cynical. <laughs> this is my, I actually heard a quote the other day. It was, uh, what was it? Critical thinking without hope is cynicism. Yep. Hope without critical thinking is naivety. Okay. Isn't that nice? I'm going to use that as mindset minute. I think it's Maria Popovov or someone like that. Yeah, I have yeah, to find good. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that because it just suits me because, you know, I like it to be critical, <laughs> but I am still what, hopeful. What have you got oppositional? I think is, you're is a bit opposition uh, reflex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Are you still not, though, a bit uh, the, the, Hawkesbury, well, the, the Hawkesbury experience or the? Oh, I've told, yeah, well, have, it, it's, uh, you're talking about me, yeah. my Hawkesbury experience, yeah. I, think, I should have been a bit more critical about that one. Um, for but, listeners who are wondering what the hell Chris is referring to, he's talking to something that I fessed up to in our episode with Quirin or Kieran, I should 
should say, Kieran Schweighofer. Well, that's a cool name. Yeah, he's a cool name. So we, he's the uh, CEO of Made Comfy. So look for that episode and you will see that I... Thank you. Look for episode 24 with Kieran Schweighofer, mm. where I am the Dumbo of the week. So I'm not going to give it away now. You have to go back and listen to that one, people. But uh, does lead us. Actually, no, I was going to be cynical here just for a minute. Oh, good. Are kids really, do they really put away their iPads when they go to the country? Um, not unless you consciously um, make it, uh, give them. So you can't, you can't stop. You've got to swap, right? So you can't just go to the country <laughs> and say stop going on the iPads and then they'll just look around and go, What you have to you have to substitute that for going for a bike ride, kicking the forty, putting them into nippers, making sure they've got plenty of activity. So if you swap, I think it's possible. If you just tell them to stop it, I think it's just rinse and repeat, they'll do the same thing. That's the thing. And the problem is there are opportunities in the city for people to actually swap. Mm. It's just that we don't. We think that the answer is out there rather than in, inside ourselves, don't we? So Very deep and I like where you're going Ooh. with that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you've you got to make a conscious it's, – it's out of an overflow of your own heart that you pass that on to your kids. So if you're feeling sort of um, – uh, dragged down by the chase of the big mortgage and the chase of the big career, that's going to overflow negatively towards your kids. Whereas if you're up in the sunshine, you're loving it and you're and life's really good and there's an overflow, come on kids, let's jump on the bikes and go for a ride. It's just it's just going to be whatever overflow you've got. Um, the kids will be the either the beneficiary or the what's the what's the opposite of that? Uh, you know, the, the negative side of that. Mm. So and just from a demographic, because I look at this from a demographic kind of generational change. Well, a lot of these families kind of Gen Y, kind of early thirties. Pre kids or post kids? No, or? most of them. Most of them were either um, young kids or older. There was no. There wasn't. There wasn't a lot of um, professional couples looking to escape from the so city. Pre kids, yeah. So yeah. a lot of them were already had kids. So yeah. they're, they're thinking we, you know, we're not getting very good balance here. Maybe this isn't really all working. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, and maybe the affordability was another big driver. Affordability and and um, escaping from just the. The, the humdrum of, of big city life. Yeah, because then the kids, the house is getting too small, we can't afford to upgrade or renovate mm. and then, you know, we like going away on weekends and then that's, yeah. I mean, it's a very common, or because of all my clients are very young families, um, there's kind of, if, if they want to, they know where they want to live, right? They want to live in the lower north or the northern beaches yeah. or kind of inner west or the inner east. And if they can't have that, well, there's no real other options that they're willing to really no. consider. Mm. It's like, so that's where we want to live. And if we, we don't really want to move to the middle ring or the outer ring, we just have zero, you know, excitement about that. So, <laughs> you know, and it's true. It and, is very and, you true. Know, and Sydney so, is defined by not just rivers but roads and you, bridges and roads basically. And it's like I don't want to go on that side of that road, let alone that mm. side of that city or that mm. side of that river. Mm. We're very, very, very localised. Yeah, and it makes sense though because all your lifestyle benefits are in the city. You know, the, what Sydney is about is kind of your beaches and the weather and, you know, so if you can't have that day-to-day, -day, like why you really want to live in Sydney? And so what will naturally happen is is that they'll look at alternative options. And so Central Coast comes onto mind very quickly. Um and then it's like, well, can I work from home three days or two days? Um, and so the lower south of Central Coast, without doubt, is where people are thinking because of the train. The north of Wollongong is like the next option. But the problem is it's it's actually there's fewer properties in the north of Wollongong. Yeah, it's sort um, of nicer too. And it's, you know, you've got a big kind of <laughs> escarpment, escarpment mm. which kind of knocks out all your afternoon sun. So you get beautiful morning, but, you know, that's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. 
But it's beautiful and the place down there. But also the train line goes along the beaches down there, whereas up the central coast the train line's inland. inland yeah, it's a good more. point. So that's why the north of Wollongong, personally, I think is, is a bigger, better choice there. Oh, it's beautiful. Mm. I mean, that's that – and they have, if you, you know, You're unfortunately – closer to the, the Shire too there. <laughs> and the boat's already <laughs> gone. Dad's place running. <laughs> um, you know, because prices have in those areas gone up 50 60% mm. because of Sydney. Mm. Um, but it's a big core and even like the Blue Mountains is probably the next one, but it's a different kind of, you know – you know, lifestyle, but that next ring is that's the that's the big real escape, isn't it? That's it's, when it's you... like a it's like the Clayton's Sea and Tree. Yeah, can I ever say it? The Clayton Sea and Tree Changer. And for those kids, <laughs> and I'm showing my age now. You're just probably looking me thinking, "What the hell is Clayton's?" No, no idea. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've heard of it, but it just remind me. The Clayton's with the drink you have when you're not having a drink. Oh, it's yeah, a non-alcoholic yeah. sort of spirit that yeah. was advertised heavily in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Right, true. I've given it away big time that one. And I think that's true, mm. right? So you're moving, but you still haven't really escaped. You've only yeah. got like a, an hour and a half, which is good for property values. It's good for desirability. But the big kind of move that people really struggle is: is do I go two and a half hours? Three and a half hours. Or another state. You know, orange, yeah, well, berry. I think, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that uh, the people on the on the sort of outer west of Sydney too, they, they, they'd sort of just, be, particularly through the last boom, you know, you'd be paying a million bucks for a, for a house that isn't necessarily all that special. And you'd be going, can I really sign up for this, you know, mm. um, big mortgage, commuting in, so, whereas they could sell up and um, they could go to Adelaide, for example, and take a massive haircut on, on salary because they could buy something significantly nicer with a nicer lifestyle um, and not sign up for that. So, again, it all comes back to those those ties. You know, do you have ties to that, that mean that you won't move? If you don't have that – and, and I've said – we've talked about the pitfalls, but I, I'm still fully encouraging people to um, – to uh, lift their eyes and chase something that's different if they're just in in the grind. So and and the sea change and tree change is that. But I think that's so true because like when I have an f- initial call with clients, I'll just start chatting to them and I'll say, oh, you know, tell me a bit more about yourself. What do you do for work? And you know, where, where do you live? And you know, where do your family? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. And they're, they're really quite interesting questions because you know you'll get the story. I'm from Melbourne and. He's from Perth or we moved here from London and, you know, where are your family and, you know, have you got kids? And you start bringing this mental map of kind of where their life is and and the family ties is usually, you know, such an important part. So where are your family? Oh, they're in Sydney. Okay. And, you know, are you both sides? Yeah, they're both in Sydney. Um, well, Especially about- when you have kids. Yeah, that's right. You know, right. beforehand you may not even think about it, but after that you think, oh, God, I'm going to need mum to help. Yeah, yeah and then a, a cra- an idea will pop up. I oh, was thinking about moving to Melbourne. And then I'm like, well, what about the family? And then so you can pretty much see whether where a client's starting to go down the wrong track, and or we, we're thinking about going overseas. And are you always going to come back to Sydney as your base? Yeah, mm. yeah, because mm. the because the family. And so then you can kind of almost direct them back to where they really thought they were going to go. Yeah. Um. But I mean, you haven't asked your parents a lot of the time, so a lot of people have just assumed what their parents would think of them and would be upset with them. But if you ask the parents, look, we're thinking about moving to the country. Do you support us? Uh, you probably find that they would because they just want you to be happy. So, yeah, because they think, oh, geez, that'd be a good place for us to you go on the Central Coast. Oh, oh that's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be nice, particularly <laughs> in Melbourne. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. But, but there, there's lots of wonderful benefits, and I've enjoyed being a part of the show, and I've enjoyed, and Ronnie's done it too. We did, we did escape from the city in parts on location. But um, uh, it, all, all I want to do is give people from my own experience, um, from doing it myself. And also from from being the bird's eye view of um, watching all these other people to do, it's um, just 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 have just have more than a than a 
you know, a whim that with my nine second attention span that maybe we should yeah. do something else. There's there's a bit more to it, and you know, do do that um, do that that foundational work on your um, your ties or your your lifestyle before you even start going. Where do I want to move? Because that that's going to be critical. Every week, we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Now, Bryce, help our listeners out here. Give us an example of a property dumbo. We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Yeah, I did because oh, I was talking to the team uh, during the week and I, I know you guys have, have had this um, previously, but I think... Um, Repetition is the mother of learning because we we recently one of the guys was um, down at an auction in Frankston, uh, which is for those of you not in Melbourne, it's on the south side, it's a beachside. Have suburb. you been listening to our podcasts? Of course I have. Oh, uh, thank you, Bryce. Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie's the because uh, you know we've had this Dumbo before. <laughs> yes, no, I, I, mate, I'm, a, I'm an avid podcast. I, I Checking just out the competitors. I, no, we're I, not competition. We're, no. we're augmentation. Ronnie's part of the family, man. It's um, but the thing is, I, I, so basically, it was the story of the of the 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 the, the bidding mm. against yourself, right? Oh yeah. But twice. Oh. Twice. So not only not only oh. was it um, you've put a bid in, then the auctioneers put a vendor bid in, and successfully got you to bid over the vendor bid. So there's there's one tip for buyers there. But then got them to up their bid on the bid that they did over the vendor's <laughs> bid. So they were actually just shadow boxing against themselves. So, oh, no. so I know you guys have had that before, but I just think that that's really that's important to know. That's better. That um, do not bid against yourself at auction. Um, and you talked about it before, Ronnie, how, you know, the people would benefit from you helping them at auction. It's, you know, if you, if you can't, if you, if, it's a public speaking environment. You have to think quick. Uh, you've got ice running through your veins. Um, there's no one size fits all. You have to think of different strategies quickly. Yeah. Auctions are not the domain for an amateur because there's a lot of money at stake. And that just proves that you've just spent more money mm. um, uh, unnecessarily. So that's that's uh, my Dumbo of the week, Ronnie. Yeah, great Dumbo. Thanks for that. And Chris, I think there's uh, for anyone who's um, in Sydney, they should they should sort of just rewind and listen to what I was saying at the top of the show. You actually want to have someone who is because when you've got two agents doing that, that can be like even an experienced person. That's intimidating, mm. and there's lots of people around. It's a public speaking environment, and you've got to make sure that you're able to know your, your experience and you can um, uh, do this quickly. So I think um, you know uh, again just to reinforce the point that. Um, you know, it sounds like we're uh, uh, oh, it's a mutual pedal, love peddling our own barrow here, <laughs> but getting a buyer's agent to to help you at an auction, even if it's just the bid at the auction, is something that you should really, really consider. Yeah, and even before an auction, right? Like there's lots well of things, you actually. know, before an auction nowadays, you know, a lot, even good property are selling prior to auction now, you know, or that would always go to auction before. But, you know, they're able to work you even harder because mm. they're able to create a fake auction in your mind you know, that, you know, in 10 days' time, we've already got four contracts out. You know, it's up to you if you really want this. You know, the market's hot. Like, you're the only buyer. Yeah. But, the, you know, if you don't know what Smoke you're doing, 
Um, yeah, because mental triggers galore. There's authority, mm. there's scarcity, there's yep. um, yeah. uh, a couple of others there. But, yep. Um, yep. And I listened to, uh, we had Damien on ours. Uh, you, your episode with him was very insightful, understanding what's going through yeah. his mind. If, if you haven't listened to that, go back to your second episode, listen to that, mm. because understand inside the mind of an auctioneer and you go, wow, I'm up against that. <laughs> I'm, I was amazed that he just shared that so readily. I know. Uh, that was like the insider's guide to auctioneering right gold. there. Yeah. Absolute gold. So yeah. I swear, anybody who actually wants to bid for themselves and you don't listen to that, you are a, mm. a fool. I'd agree. <laughs> well, Bryce, we have covered, I think we've got two podcasts out of this actually. Yeah. <laughs> we've got, <laughs> we've got <laughs> you just keep going. I'll have to do another one. around. Me. So, But no, thanks for having me on. You guys are doing a terrific job and I think uh, what, you're, what you're doing to educate your listeners is unique and I certainly encourage you to keep doing it because uh, you don't want to just be another – Vanilla podcast that's out there. I think you guys are, you know, offering some really good stuff. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Cheers. Thanks for coming. You can come back Thanks. anytime. <laughs> <laughs> we want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is. The idea of bidding against yourself is ridiculous because it, it comes down to whether you're consciously doing it or you're doing it whether the elephant is making the bids. Okay, so guys, remember the elephant is a subconscious mind. That is what is reacting to all the stimulus that's going on. And and, and an auctioneer, and if you're unfamiliar with auctions, you won't realise even what a vendor bid is. It's basically the vendor buying their own house back effectively. In Victoria, there can be multiple vendor bids. In New South Wales, you could only have one. And I was at an auction the other night where the vendor bid came in and we didn't need to bid on top of the vendor bid because what is the point of that? All it does is indicate where the reserve might be. That's all it does mm. for me. If anyone else bids against it, then I'll bid again because I'm bidding against a real buyer, but I'm not going to bid against the vendor bid. So the agent came up to me and said, well, he was the, the principal of the office, the actual agent I was dealing with. I'd already said to him, look, we're here to buy it, but I'm not going to get any silly thing about bidding against the vendor bid. We'll negotiate, okay? So let's just pass it in and we'll negotiate. His boss comes over and says, is there any reason why you won't bid? And I went, yes. And he's like, looked at me, well, why? It's in the middle of the auction because they want me under pressure and I'm not going to play the game. And I just said, well, because I don't have to and I'm here to buy it and I'm prepared to negotiate after you pass it in. Mm. And so... He just looked at me like no one had ever told him that before. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you think? So anyway, of course, we did pass it in and we went and negotiated. Now, we did pay more than the vendor because at the end of the day, I had already priced the property. It was well under what my client was prepared to pay if it was competitive. But I don't need to be bidding against the vendor because that's bidding rather than negotiating. Mm, and mm. I think drawing that distinction is is what I want to draw for this tip for the elephant training here for this week is that there are times at auction when buyers are just unconscious and they're in a panic and they're just bidding and it's the elephant bidding. There are other times where the elephant stops bidding when they need to negotiate. They're never going to buy it if it's way under, mm. you know. It, that's a negotiation. And I think buyers need to understand the distinction. But I love that. I've seen people bidding against themselves. Mm. I've seen one person bid at auction after the, you know, it was well over a reserve. They were already the highest bidder and then they panicked and bid again. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's, it's in mad. fact, Damien Cooley in episode two talks mm. about that. Tune in to our next episode when we interview financial and property all-rounder Stuart Weems. He is a director of a company called Pro Solution in Melbourne and is one of the very, very few financial planners in this country that has uh, a lot of qualifications for starters but also a very deep understanding of the property market. Great insights because I love the fact that we can talk about more than just property from an investment point of view. 
well worth tuning in for that one. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.